0: Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. My smile is twice as wide because I have my first husband and wife Slash business partner duo, dynamic duo on the show. So let me tell you a little bit about Michael and Audrey Sahoda. This is a serendipitous interview for me today. Michael is an international keynote speaker, trainer, and consultant, and he loves to help people evolve as well as do the same for organizations. He's also business partner and I'm going to say life partner to Audrey. And together they have trained many, many leaders around the globe. We're going to have a fun conversation about emotional agility. I think we're going to talk about the word shift a lot. And I love that they're just down the road from me in Toronto, Ontario. They're a fellow local leader. But I can tell you wholeheartedly, not to sound corny, I have found a dynamic duo that are heart-centered leaders who are also joining me in creating legacy work around the globe. So Michael and Audrey,
1: welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: Yeah, Thank you for uh, not only having us here, but talking about us as a dynamic duo. It's our anniversary today.
0: Oh, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Happy anniversary. Thank you. How exciting is that? How many years? Four years. And we've done a lot in four years. That's exciting. Well, I know that we've had to rebook our interview a couple of times. And I bring that up because it always grounds me in the foundation to the name that I gave this beautiful podcast. Life hands us imperfections and we pivot and do what we have to do. So I'm glad that we're rescheduled and we're here and I have so much to ask you. So I'm going to jump into my leadership questions if you're both ready. We're ready. Okay. I think my first question is, I absolutely love your love story. And I would love for you to share with the listeners how... The moment of shift came of bringing two brilliant minds together to collaborate and create your business, which is called Shift 314.
2: I'll give the short version, Audrey. I'll really give the, the longer version. The short version is uh, step one, fall in love. Step two, figure out how to be on the planet, the same location at the same time. Step three, discover that we have a shared life path and uh, that magic happens when we co-create. That's the the short version. Audrey will really give you the kind of the more um, decorated version.
1: It's Decorated because it's funny. So you talk about being imperfect. So when I first knew of uh, Michael K. Sahota, we were both in a um, personal growth and development program based out of India, and we would go to India a couple times a year for this program. And then when we came back to the states we would be on a monthly call with um, one of the teachers. And I was in a class ahead of Michael, but they merged the two classes together just on the monthly calls. And so I would see this guy on the call and he would be answering the questions from the teacher, telling people to mute their mics and he drove me crazy. And I was always like, who is this guy? And I was kind of like, he was kind of a jerk. He didn't, you know, <laughs> just wasn't, I just was kind of triggered by him. And then about six months later, um, I was in India for my course. And lo and behold, who shows up in my class, but Michael Sahoda, Just to make a really long story short, was that we became friends. And um, one day we were, we were in these very, very intense processes for personal growth and transformation. Like wake up at four o'clock in the morning, do yoga, have courses, do these very intense personal processes where we're processing things that are blocking us subconsciously. And it was the, at the end of the evening, we were having dinner probably about 30, 10 o'clock at night. And I was going through something and he just looked at me and he said, you know, I can hold you through this process if you promise to go through it all the way, meaning we're not going to stop and we're really going to go blow through this one. And I said, yes, because it was something that was blocking me like a lifelong block that I had. So we went through this process. And as I was working through this process, he was kind of, you know, just guiding me along through my process. But he would say things that I would say to my clients exactly at the moment where I would say things. And so I never met anybody that can work like me. And so while I was going through this process, also in my mind, in this other track, I was like, gosh, he's doing exactly how I would have done it if I was holding my client." And I came back to my room that night and I told my roommate, you know, about this Michael Sahoda guy, who's pretty famous on campus. And she just said, yeah, he's your partner. And I was like, what? No, he's not my partner. He's not my type. And, uh, and then it took about four days <laughs> for me to, to unwind and to open up to the possibility that we can be in relationship together. And, and that was it we actually got married like 5 months later in india and then another this the anniversary today is our actual like legal marriage at the in in toronto kind of thing um a year later that's our story
0: you know what i love the most about your story is highlighting the uncomfortable feelings that you had and then him extending to you you know, I'm here for you. And if we're going to do this, we're, we're going, we're going through it, and it's going to be messy. And then to come out on the other side to see the alignment, such a powerful metaphor for leaders, especially heart centered leaders, when we see something in someone else that bothers us or, or gets us in, in some kind of emotional way, It's always a fun time to go inward, to dig deeper, to see what we're not liking in them is something that's not coming to the surface for us. So what a powerful story. I love that. Well, it leads nicely into my next question. And my next question has permanent residency on this wonderful podcast. And all of my guests have been asked this question, and I'd love for you both to answer it. What imperfections do Michael and Audrey bring to their heart-centered leadership?
2: There's a long list. Part of, I think, the work of becoming an extraordinary leader, what we call an evolutionary leader, is the choice to evolve oneself, the choice to lean into our place of darkness, our, our challenges, and so on. And so for me, my answer is, well, the biggest one I'd say is having my heart open fully because it, it, because our hearts open and closed dynamically as the day goes on, as things happen and moving out of my default historical place of being a well-intentioned asshole. So I think that's really my biggest thing. Cause when, when my heart is fully open, when I'm not in my conditioning, in my conditioned behaviors, in my uh, reactivity, everything becomes possible and everything's okay. So I think, I think that's probably my number one.
1: What comes up for me is we talk about theory X and theory Y behavior, McGregor's understanding. We teach to this because as leaders, we're evolving. What we say is we're not only evolving other people, which it's really easy to lead other people, we're evolving ourselves. And what I've noticed in my own self is how I show up theory X to a situation, to a relationship, to life itself, where I'm disengaged, demotivated, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm not engaged. And um, for me, that's probably one of the things that I work on the most within myself and where I've had the biggest amount of growth in the last couple of years because I'm in relationship. Michael and I use relationship to wake up. Meaning we use relationship to grow. We're not just here in this romantic relationship. Oh, let's, let's work together. You know, let's build a business together. It's not that at all. It's like moment to moment. Where are we on our journey? Where are we in our own personal growth and development? How are we showing up moment to moment in every situation in every interaction? and. I can say relationships trigger you immensely. And it doesn't matter where the relationship is. You can be at work. You can be at home. You can be, you know, even at a grocery store and you're going to be triggered by whatever the experience is. So how are you showing up to that experience? Who are you in that moment? And are you showing up theory X or or we say theory Y plus plus? Are you actively working on yourself? in every moment so you're showing up as your best self.
0: Oh, there's so much that I want to unpack there. I love the way you frame that and I often challenge my clients and I frame it and ask them what their cognitive currency is. Where are you living cognitively? I need you to join me right now, come and sit in the observer's chair beside me and let's just live in the now cuz We're not five minutes ago and and we can't see tomorrow. We can think about tomorrow, but let's just land right here. That alignment and that cognitive placing, that currency, it's so hard for people. And I love that you said, you know, we're not just married and, and decided, hey, let's join a business. It's a multifaceted relationship that can change, like Michael said, second to second. And when you're in tune with that, that's powerful. I'm a yoga teacher too, so we're very much in sync here. I love that. Okay, my next question is, I want to talk about your book, Beyond Change. I want to talk about the book. I want to talk about the workbook. I want to talk about the visual handbook. Share with us, you know, where this idea and the different modalities came from. And from start to finish, and I know it's a powerful, loaded question, how did you know it was time to write it and release it in the way that you did?
2: This book is an unfolding of over three years. The book we published, Leading Beyond Change, that is actually the third version of this book. There was version one, which was written about one to two years prior, which was actually a little bit too academic. Then there's version two, which was the book we were going to publish And then three weeks before the go-to-print deadline, we did a complete rewrite based on some of the feedback we'd gotten. So it's actually three books all in one. Really, the intention for this is that there's so much that we teach In in our company. We have this challenge of having pretty much unlimited IP of really innovative ways for leaders to understand their own growth journey, understand approaching change in their organizations, and so on. So, how to put the kind of a like a level one book, level one stake in the ground to say, well, here's the foundation. And it didn't happen until we were writing the third version of the book that we got a name for it. What we're creating and bringing to this world as an organization, which is the self framework, the Shift Three One Four Evolutionary Leadership Framework, which is all about scaling excellence with people, not to people or at people or et cetera, et cetera. So that's what emerge. And it wasn't like there was this plan thing, oh, we got to do this thing. We're, as you're saying, just in the now, in the flow of the moment to moment, and this is what unfolded. So everything I'd say that's happening really in our lives is an unfolding and a responding to the complex dynamic emergence that all of us individually find ourselves in. We're not just trying to follow some conditioned plan we have, we're just going with what is.
1: I can also say that in our leadership training courses, there's so much that needs to be said that you cannot say in two days. That's just the truth of it. And so I really wanted Michael to everything that was in his head to get out of his head and on paper with the integration of my work, which is coming from a shifting consciousness, which is a passion of mine, and how to develop leaders to a new way of working. And I I also realized that in order to you know agile in these new ways of working require a shift in consciousness you can't just show up with a different behavior no matter what your intention is it really takes a deeper rewiring of your whole entire being in order to show up this way because when there's a crisis you're going to revert back to your old self and so your old self really needs to be dissolved and so coming together in any type of course, people also need to have the ability to be able to read over and over again, what the the process is, what the information is. So I think leading beyond change is the beginning, like Michael said, it's the beginning steps of that process. But there's so much more. And I mean, we have, we have a playbook, and we have uh, different processes and tools and techniques to use, not just about transformation of your being, like your psychological makeup, the way you think your behaviors, your perceptions, which is the shift in consciousness, but how to apply it daily, step by step in your life, because all that information is null and void if you can't apply it. And so Michael has developed amazing um, tools and techniques that you can use to transform your organization, you know, like decision-making and decision cards. And there's other things that we have. The playbook itself is a valuable tool. So I thought it was really important. And some of those things are in the book. Some of them aren't in the book. And we have a lot more books to write.
2: A lot more books. The, I think the other thing that I, I just is t- to give a highlight or summary of everything that we're talking about here, it's a marriage of personal evolution and organizational evolution. Not for fun, not because it's interesting, but because it's necessary. Organization changing means people changing.
0: I could sit and talk to you two all day. What I love about this is you've taken that personal relationship with self, with each other in life and with each other in business. And I loved how you said, Michael, well, we did the foundational level one, but it was too academic. And then we moved to level two. And then here we are now at level three, as you continue to evolve you're acting your brand which is important because our branding can be shiny and beautiful and have all the aesthetics but if you don't have that behavior to show and be deliberate with what your brand is and execute that that is so powerful and it leads so beautiful into my next question this is the best question for you too because i have this question a lot with executives and c-suites that i work with and I figured the two of you would be the best to distinguish and tell because it falls in line with your work, your book, your handbook. Clarify for our listeners the difference between an agile coach and a scrum master, because I think some clarity needs to be given. And when I read this and saw this in your work, I was like, oh, I'm going to get this right from the horse's mouth. So please share with us from your humble and evolving educational and life point of view, the difference, because you really eloquently lay this out in your book and the handbook.
2: That's a great question. And the framing of the question itself is a trap. And I'm going to explain why step-by-step. A scrum master is somebody who's a team level coach that can help a team show up and be excellent. Now here's the deal can somebody do that unless they themselves are excellent? Unless they themselves are excellent collaborators, unless they themselves have kind of gone down the road. And I think that's where there's a gap is that somebody to show up as a scrum master, it's actually more like a scrum leader. It's actually a leadership role. The hierarchy has been replaced in an agile world where the product owners and the scrum masters are the new managers and their level of consciousness, their mindset, their ability to treat people well determines the level of functioning of their team. So they're the new managers. That's kind of the new Slash Scrum Masters. Agile coaches are there to help organizations move towards an agile way of working. Now, there's a huge trap. 95% of what happens is process-focused, which is not agile. Agile is about people over process. And if you dig back the covers on agile, agile itself is a culture system. So that's where immediately, as soon as you start talking about an agile coach role, there's a huge confusion that's going on because an agile coach, what what is an agile organization? It doesn't make any sense. It's an organization that's more agile, but agile, if it's a culture system, it's a shift towards people showing up at their best, a shift towards high performance, a shift towards engagement, a shift towards adaptability, but that's a culture shift. So agile is wholly insufficient to create a culture shift. It can support a culture shift, but it can't lead one. So the whole notion of an agile transformation, agile coaches is a horrible disaster that's being perpetrated on many organizations today. And I I wish it would really just, just go away or at least evolve to something healthier. So what is healthier is to realize that agile is a means to an end. Agile maturity is understanding that organizations don't want agile. They want high performance. Agile can help with that, of course, but we need to have a larger frame to understand that. So agile maturity is understanding that Agile is just one wave or one approach in the ocean of high performance. And we have that maturity, that agile maturity to understand agile is just one approach. And there are many others, leadership, coaching, many, many other things to help an organizational system evolve. Then we have maturity with agile. We realize it's not about agile at all. It's actually about high performance. And when we realize that and understand that culture is determined by the leadership What does it take to lead an organization to a more evolved culture? Well, we have to show up as a more evolved leader. So calling somebody an agile coach to help an organization move to agile is harmful and damaging. We actually need agile leaders, people to lead and embody a new way of functioning, a new way of being.
0: Was that not the best question for him, Audrey? I
1: did my homework. I did my homework. That was so dramatic. It, it, it was, it was, you know, um, I, I think it's kind of funny too, because I've watched Michael, I've actually coached Michael. When I first met Michael on these zoom calls, he would always ask, I need help. I need somebody that's a professionally trained coach that understands what we're doing here in India, this, the, this work of personal growth and transformation specifically to shift consciousness And somebody that understands energy work. And I would always like kind of be like, oh, I can do that. Then it wasn't until we came together and he said, why don't you come to one of my courses? And I want you to be in the room with me and coach me live through the course and stop the play when I'm not showing up as the leader that I want to be. I was doing that in the beginning.
2: So please understand she would do this. We'd be live in a class where I'm supposed to be the expert training people. And I say, look, I'm on my leadership journey too." Audrey may stop the play when I make a violation where I'm not showing up as the leader that I want to be. And certainly what we're teaching to here. And she would do it. And this was a huge experience for people.
1: <laughs> I forgot why I was telling this story. That's so funny. <laughs>
0: but but doesn't that align with who you are? I'm going to teach this to you. And my accountability partner is sitting over there. And if I'm falling off my ability to evolve in leading you today, she's going to call me out and stop me full stop so that I have a learning moment during my teaching moment. If that's not walking your walk, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, I've never seen anybody. In my whole entire career, my life experience, I've never seen anybody so committed to their own personal growth and transformation and really willing to look at themselves. I think our work does that. and You've mentioned the workbook twice, and I really want to go into that for a moment because the ability to transform your organization wholly depends on the ability that you can transform yourself because you are a walking transmission of the work. And not only, you know, coaching is kind of like talking about the others and, and going back to your own self is really important. And having the technical skills, the competence, the, the contextual understanding of how to transform an organization is also imperative on this journey. So we, we talk about taking a traditional organization we call it an evolutionary organization that, that is considering excellence with people, meaning that there's an engaged workforce that is well-nourished and taken care of to create the high performance that everybody is looking for. And in order to move from traditional to evolutionary, You need to be able to read the system. You need to be able to know what's going on and you need to be able to function in in the reality of what's going on. You need to be able to talk to leaders. You need to be able to have the influence. You need to be able to move the organization from one place to another, move them through this transformation. I don't know any agile coaching or other coaching programs that can do that. I'm not saying our work is the end-all be-all, but I know that the workbook itself actually takes you through these readouts and how to work with an organization, not only yourself and an organization step-by-step to understanding how to move your culture system and how to move through the structures and processes that your organization already has and what's the next step to take them through to get them to high performance. And it's not what you think it is because using processes and structures before the organization is ready to do that can be very, very damaging. Oh, that's what I was saying. <laughs> so when I started working with Michael, we he was doing a lot of keynotes all over the world. I mean, this is before COVID. And there was a lot of leaders go first and the damaging effect agile can have on an organization and what to do about it. So we've been going around the world talking about this for a really long time and people have been taking things that Michael has said and kind of distorting it to fit their version which I also think has been really damaging. So this book and the workbook and everything that we do has been like a clarification of what we've been talking about and then the how to move the organization forward in an evolutionary process and transformation that provides so much psychological safety that the transformation actually happens.
2: And in order to do that, we kill about... 10 sacred cows around leadership, 10 sacred cows around what is organizational high performance, 10 sacred cows around what is really effective change look like. So, you know, people are ready to get something that's quite a different look, progressive look on change itself in all dimensions. This is it.
0: What I love about that is you pointing out, Audrey, that some of Michael's craftiness and creation you know, is being interpreted and distorted to fit. And it makes me think of one of my favorite mentors. I just lost him three years ago. And I remember the first time that that happened to me. And he just had this big belly laugh. And he looked at me with a really funny drawn look. And he threw his arms up in the air and he said, well, you've made it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, when somebody copies you, You've got something good to say that somebody else wants. And he goes, well done. And he said, welcome to the club. So touche, Michael, keep creating because when people copy you, and I always believe the universe doesn't bless those who are thieves.
1: That was another little line from one of my mentors. I don't think it's so much the copying. It's the misinterpretation. So leaders go first people have such resistance to authority and us as leaders. Okay. This is a leadership podcast, right? I know all of the people that are listening to this has gone through or has had some experience where people show up and they have resistance to authority and then they start showing up theory X, right? So really when we said leaders go first, the whole entire community would start going, yeah, it's the leader's fault. And it's the leader's fault that I can't change this organization. I would stop the whole class in the middle of our leadership training. And I would say, Hey, you know, we have a problem here because we have aversion to authority or to blame and not taking responsibility for our own selves. So how can you work with leaders if you have frustration anger, resentment, blame on the leadership itself. There can be no transformation. There could be no evolution until that is cleared from our system.
2: And really the the meaning is leaders go first. And when we're moving to leaders at all levels, it means that everyone goes first. There's no waiting for anybody else. There's no complaining. Showing up as motivated, passionate means that you do your work and you don't worry about anyone else, whether they're doing their work or not. And that's really what we're teaching to is that change, culture change can happen anywhere in any team, in any part of the organization. It's not about waiting for some big change initiative, waiting for somebody else. It's actionable, immediate, available to everybody who wants to make a difference, who wants to lead beyond change.
0: I love that. My definition of heart-centered leadership is honoring your connection with people. And it doesn't mean verbally and from your own behavior being intrinsic, but also being intrinsic back to self. Because when you're intrinsic back to self, and then you execute that in whatever medium you choose to respond, whether it be in writing or verbal, that comes across with a certain kind of energy. And I'm looking at Audrey's, Audrey's face is lighting up because she's like, oh, she's speaking my language. It's not woo woo. And there is that somatic presence that is not only allowed, it's aligned and it's alive and well in leadership for those
1: who choose to live in the now and see it. Powerful. It's so powerful. I, I, I'm lighting up because I agree with you. And I love, I love hearing this from others because we're feeling beings. And I believe that some of this, that kind of knowledge has been taken away from us. It's our birthright to be able to access this kind of information. I also think it is imperative that we understand this to be successful. And I know we teach a lot of this in the Academy of Leadership Mastery, which is our advanced courses. We really go into understanding the ego and how it works, understanding how to work with the reality that we're choosing to show up to, that we're creating. And I think as leaders, it's really important that we have access to our whole selves and our whole being. And when we can respond to our own selves in this, you know, you can call it self-love. You can call it compassion. You can, there's so many words for it. And you said the word intrinsic. And I think that that's really an integrative word that kind of, even when I see the word, I see that it's, it's almost like a Celtic knot, that it's just completely woven into everything that we do. And that's the way to unlock success, not only in ourselves, but in others.
2: Why care about heart-centered leadership? Did you notice when you treat people well, they perform better? And it's like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Well, how do I treat people well? Well, it's not just about what you do. It's how you are as a being. It's your inner state of being, you know? And well, let's just look at the next thing. Well, you can only be kind to others to the extent that you're kind to yourself, and did you notice there's that little critic going right, 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 inside your head? So you're not very nice to yourself as a leader, let's face it. So, which means you're not very nice to the people around you, which means you're not getting the performance you could be getting. So that's what we're talking about really that we see is that opening our hearts is a shift in consciousness. It's an inner journey of evolution. And as we go on this journey, people may be able to feel, you know, the presence or the stability that's there but that's what we talk about as a shift in consciousness. And most leaders that we see on the planet are not aware that that's what they need to do to unlock performance is shift their consciousness.
0: And the beauty of this conversation is, you know what I'm doing and I know what you're doing. There's not enough of us. It's our legacy work. And when we can shift and I'll, I'll give a perfect example because I mean, this conversation could go on for the whole afternoon, When a leader says to me, well, you know what, Deb, I'm the CEO of this company. And if I utilize heart-centered leadership, they're all going to like me. Maybe they'll even love me, but they're not going to respect me. That is in the pit of my stomach. It's engraved in my heart. And it's what gets me fired up in the morning because I, I grew up with an Irish Nana. And she said to me, Kindness does not need a degree or any schooling. It's inside of us to give. It's a limitless potential. You can give as much as you want and give it to the people who don't give it back to you more. And I remember that 10 years old. That was a long time ago. I'm going to finish with my last question, but... I want to say I am so delighted that our paths have intersected. I I see more Zoom coffee conversations with you too because you said it earlier, you have to find who your people are. You have to find who your tribe is, who inspires you and mentors you and leads you and they don't even know that they're doing it and you're speaking the same language. Maybe it's in a different offering. Maybe it's in a different modality. The point is, heart-centered leadership is for all of us. We don't need title, stature, a fancy office, a fancy suit. We just need to be kind. So I'm so grateful that I've met you two. And I want to thank you for your time and your expertise and sharing of your hearts. And I'm going to ask you both to finish this sentence for me and we'll close out the show.
1: Heart-centered leadership is? My first reaction is the best thing ever. Like, why would you want anything else?
2: Heart-centered leadership is the choice to act moment by moment with your heart open so that you can connect, support, and elevate those around you. In contrast with being reactive, shut down, operating from the conditioning, the layers and layers of conditioning that society has inflicted on us and showing up and creating people who are disengaged and unmotivated.
0: You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.